I do want to give one announcement while uh, they are heading out. I um, wanted to mention a special thing we have coming up in a few weeks. We're going to have a baby dedication, which is a baby and parent dedication here the first Sunday in May. So May 6th. If you are interested in being a part of this, I would invite you to uh, just talk to me, and it'll be a special service that day where we pray for parents to raise their children in a way that would hopefully direct them to our God. It is a blessing to stand as a parent, and that is a stewardship that you have if you're a mom or a dad, and uh, we would like to pray for you and help you here at Calvary to point your kids to Jesus Christ. Can I ask you to bow with me one more time, and we'll pray. Father, it truly is good to be in the house of the Lord today. We praise you for the wonderful blessing that it is that we can look back at the cross and celebrate what we have in the work of Jesus Christ. We thank you for all that took place there. We praise you for your wonderful wisdom. We praise you for the love that we are on the receiving end of. And we thank you, God, for leaving us here in this world after our salvation so that we could be busy for you. Would you allow us very much so to feel loved to know who you are today, what you have done for us, and how we should respond back to you. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. On May 27, 2006, there was something that happened to a teacher named Kathleen Crow that would change her life forever. Kathleen was spending the Saturday in the Colorado mountains. She was hiking with a small group. Along with Kathleen was one of her students. It was not an official activity, but it was kind of a reward for this student. His name was Evan Thompson. Evan was eight years old. A little bit later in the morning, after eating a meal, Kathleen was cleaning some dishes. And eight-year-old Evan, who was a special needs child, was enamored with a bird that came flying into the camp. And as that bird came near and then decided to fly into the forest, Evan curiously followed. After a little bit of looking, something took place that you would expect. There had to be an emergency phone call. After the immediate efforts to find Evan proved fruitless, the call was made. There were an estimated 250 volunteers that were scrambling to go through what they had already learned to try to find this lost child. Over 20 agencies were represented. There were tracking dogs that they brought in, even airplanes and helicopters with high tech to find little Evan. Unfortunately, a lesson that Evan had learned very recently was the lesson of stranger danger. He had very high on his radar that someone who he did not know would be a danger to him. So being lost in these woods, there were at least two times we would later find out that someone was close to him, and yet Evan would duck behind some trees to hide from someone who he thought was a stranger. Evan would later admit to being scared of the huge helicopter that hovered overhead. The helicopter that they brought in from Kirkland Air Force Base in Albuquerque was equipped with infrared technology. And yet Evan was so scared that he would scurry behind some rocks whenever it would become near, avoiding the technology that could have found him and rescued him. 
Evan's path was evident to those who were following after him. He left some sticks that were poked into ant holes, and every once in a while, they would find an imprint of a superhero because Evan had on his Spider-Man shoes, and as they searched for him, they would find the footprint with the little Spider-Man every once in a while. Evan left the campsite Saturday morning, and he was lost all day Saturday, and then darkness came, and Evan was by himself in the Colorado mountains all Saturday night. And then Sunday came. Evan was by himself all day Sunday. And then night came again. And he spent the night by himself in the dark on the mountain. And then Monday. And then Monday night. It was on Tuesday that Steve Zuckerman of the Vail Mountain Rescue was sitting on his ATV. And about 50 feet off the trail, he saw a young boy. They knew that he was being frightened And he didn't want to scare him off again, so he approached Evan very cautiously. Are you Evan? Yes. Are you lost? I think I am, he responded. Evan later told rescuers that what he was trying to do was find a high mountain area so that he could actually look out and see the campsite. I think Evan's story is a good way for us to begin today because Easter is about those who have been lost being found. Easter is a story about those who have been separated from a loving God and how God draws them to himself. Easter is also about, and this is beautiful, Easter is about second chances. I'm gonna ask you to turn to two places in your Bibles. Would you turn to John chapter 21, please? John chapter 21 And then would you hold your place there and turn to Mark 16? So find John 21 and mark that with a bulletin or a marker. So John 21 and then Mark 16. We'll be in Mark 16 first. If you are here and you do not have a Bible, please use one of the Bibles in the pew rack in front of you. If you do not own a Bible, please keep that. That is our gift to you. Um, If you do not own a Bible, we'd love for anyone that's been a part of one of Calvary's services to make sure they have a Bible always And so please take that as our gift to you. John 21, mark that, and then turn to John, or Mark 16. There are a couple of things we're going to talk about today. One is the immense price that Jesus Christ paid for the forgiveness of sins. And then the second thing we're going to talk about is the fact that our God is always seeking for his children to return to him. I want for us to start with and end with a guy who was a guy who found himself in need of a second chance. And this guy was Peter. Let me tell you a little bit about Peter. Peter leads the pack in the Bible as far as individuals who were following Jesus, but they messed up. There is more ink that's given to Peter in his stories than any other of the disciples that we find in the scriptures. Why is that? Why does he get more attention than anybody else? Well, I want to suggest a reason to you, and the reason I think is is because Peter was always talking. He never stopped talking, it seems like. There would be obvious times where he should just pay attention or listen, not say a word. And Peter was one of those fellows who you always knew what he was thinking, even if you didn't want to, you, know what was, you knew what was going on in his head. 
You didn't have to uh, wonder very long. Let me give you a couple of examples to give you the idea of what Peter was like. In uh, the Gospel of Matthew, we find this incredible story that we call the story of the transfiguration. Jesus Christ took just three of his disciples with him, Peter, James, and John. And he goes up into a mountain and he does something very, very special. We see there that Jesus is transfigured. And what that means is physically his clothes and his face were shining like the sun, the Bible tells us. I think God was sharing something very special with Peter, James, and John because he was preparing them for something very unique. And if there ever was a time to sit back and take it all in, this was the time because Jesus was transfigured, something very different with his body and his clothes, but also we see that Moses and Elijah both appeared. This is going to be a beautiful, worshipful time if they will let it be that. But here's what Peter does. I'm sure you could already guess that he's the one that speaks up. Peter comes to Jesus and he says, Lord, it is good that we are here. This is a good thing. Jesus, let us go and make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah so that we can spend more time here. This is a good thing. He did not get that everything that Moses and Elijah had done in the past was pointing to the man that he was with, Jesus Christ. I oftentimes like to imagine what was going on in those situations. What was the conversation that maybe was in the white space between the lines in our Bible? What took place? I don't know that Moses was a sarcastic individual, but I have to wonder if he didn't appear there at that time and go to Jesus and say, really, Jesus, this guy? This is the one that you're going to have preach? in a few weeks and start the church this is the best that you can find and Peter speaks and he makes that request to honor and worship all three of these and God the Father interrupts there's a voice that comes from above and it says this is my beloved son listen to him and they fall on their faces another chance that we get to see Peter is when Jesus is talking with all of his disciples. They're all there. And as he talks to them, he says, every one of you is going to deny me. You're all going to deny me. Well, can you guess who the one that speaks up and argues with Jesus was? It was Peter. Peter just, I don't know if it was in front of the whole group or I don't know if he got on the, along the side there and put his arm around him. Jesus, Jesus, this is crazy talk. Deny you. And I can imagine what was going through his head. No, 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 you're the next king. And I'm hoping to be your top general, Jesus. There's no way in the world I would possibly deny you. I don't think those guys would either, but Jesus, even if all those guys chicken out, when it gets hot, I will not. Jesus takes the opportunity to talk to Peter. And to say, well, Peter, since you brought it up, let's talk about you denying me. I'm going to let you know that even this night, before the rooster crows the second time, you will have denied that you even know me three times. You know, there are many of us that can relate well to Peter. But let me tell you something about Peter. Jesus loved Peter. 
He was patient with him. He was kind to him. He spoke the truth to him in love. And if we fast forward just a little bit, we will find Peter. Jesus has been arrested at this point. He's been taken, and now Jesus is outside the house of Caiaphas. And Peter, the Bible says, is warming himself by a fire. And there's a servant girl that recognizes him. I don't know where she would have recognized him from. I don't know. Maybe she saw Peter right next to Jesus during the triumphal entry when he was coming to Jerusalem. Maybe there was some other different background as Peter had always been at the forefront. And this servant girl says, you, you were with Jesus. And very quickly, Peter denies. There was a threat to him, a threat that he could lose his life. Peter denies that he knows Jesus Christ and immediately the rooster crowed. Then someone else saw Peter. And not only did they tell Peter, you were with him and you know him, but they tried to convince some others that were in the crowd. Certainly you were with him. You're one of his followers. No, no, no. He denies Christ a second time. And then again, he is accused, and I think his life might have been in danger. There was a lot going on there. And all the other disciples had already turned their back on Christ at this point as well. And he gets accused a third time. And in essence, here's what Peter says. I swear to God that I do not know the man. And after that third time, the rooster crowed. The Bible tells us that Peter was following so he could see what was going on with Jesus. And in some way, Peter, we know he was near a fire. And I think probably his face was lit up by the glow of the fire. And after he denied Christ that third time, the Bible tells us that Jesus Christ was physically able to see the face of Peter. And as Peter saw Jesus gazing at him, he knew that he had failed. And the Bible tells us that he went and he was weeping bitterly after that. Now let me pause our time talking about Peter and talk about what happened with Jesus Christ over the next several moments. These are familiar, but Jesus Christ told his disciples, I want you to remember my death until I come back for you in the clouds. So some of the details that we know about what took place, we were at the house of Caiaphas. We know that when Jesus was there at the house of Caiaphas, he was struck in the face as they had him likely in chains. They blindfolded him, and then the mocking was a huge part of what Jesus Christ went through. They blindfolded Christ, and knowing that he had claimed to be a king or a prophet, they would mock him on that. They would blindfold him and take turns punching him in the face and say, tell us which one of us punched you. Probably for many of us, the most graphic part of the crucifixion that Jesus went through was the scourging. It wasn't even part of the cross. In fact, I can't help but wonder if Pilate, Pilate didn't make the scourging incredibly difficult and rough, hoping that the Jews would kind of get rid of the idea of having to kill this man. And the scourging that would take place that Christ went through, the many blows from the short whip that would have on it metal pieces, leather strips, 
possibly something sharp, maybe bone or sharp metal pieces that would grab the skin and they would pull it out. And of course, they had laws about scourging 40 stripes minus one. They would always stop short. They didn't want to break that law and it was thought if they got more than 40, then they would die for sure. And Jesus got those 39 whips. There were some flexible branches they would take and fold those branches that had thorns on them. And they folded them to mock him further into a crown to put on his head. And we're familiar with the idea that it was a crown of thorns and they would press that. I don't think it fell off. I think they pressed it into his head and those thorns would dig deep and would hold. After the mock trial, after all of this torture, The one who was condemned to death would have to carry his own cross to Golgotha. And Jesus Christ was so weak that he could not carry that cross. And as he got to the place where they would crucify him, they would take long, heavy nails and they would use those nails to hold Jesus to the cross. And while he was there, while he was going through, while he was going through the worst that man could come up with. So we think about torture, trying to get someone to talk. The Romans were expert killers. They knew how to inflict pain in a way that would keep him conscious and yet where he would not die. They knew what they were doing. And while hanging there, the pain that was inflicted was among the worst that man could suffer. And yet if you know Jesus Christ, you understand that it wasn't the physical pain that was the worst part. The worst part was the bearing the sins of the entire world upon himself. As Christ would hang there, cramps would set in. The effort that was needed to exhale, so if you can imagine him spread out like this, and he could take breath in while he was down, but he would need to raise himself up to exhale. And I think the majority of the effort was put on the legs as he would push push himself up to let out a breath. Everything that took place on that cross was excruciating. And this was a demonstration of his love for you. There were two criminals that were crucified, one on either side of Jesus Christ. They died from rapid suffocation. You see, when they wanted to wrap up this crucifixion time for these three criminals, they knew that if they were to break the legs of those on a cross, they could no longer push themselves up, and so they would suffocate rather quickly. And they did that with the two on either side, but when they came to Jesus Christ, they found that he was already dead. And just to make sure of it, they took a spear and they poked it into his side, and water and blood came out. You see, at that point, Jesus had already said the words, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. No one took the life of Jesus Christ, but instead he laid it down. We find that the body was taken down, was laid in a tomb that belonged to a man named Joseph of Arimathea. And then the Sabbath came. The sun went down on Friday night. And I think that day, Saturday, for those that love Jesus, I think it was a day of confusion. I think it was a day of reflection. There were plenty of Christ followers that wanted to be the top general, but nobody wanted to be the king. And now their king 
was dead. And this brings us to Mark chapter 16. I'm going to read the first eight verses. Mark 16, the Bible says this. This was when Sunday came. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on, on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. He said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go and tell his disciples that, and, and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. We find here that Mary Magdalene and the other ladies were the first ones to get to the tomb. And I love the words that we see here. They're familiar words, most of them are, but there were two words here that I must have gone over dozens of times in my life, and yet they never jumped off the page to me. I wonder if they did to you. Jesus says, or I'm sorry, the angel says about Jesus, go and tell the disciples and Peter. Have you ever noticed that before? It talks about the disciples getting the message, but then he also singles out Peter at this point. Isn't that interesting? Why would Jesus say go, I mean, why would the angel say go and tell the disciples and Peter? I think it's for this reason. I think that the angel and Jesus knew that Peter needed some special encouragement. Peter had just denied Jesus Christ three times. The last time he saw them was that gaze, maybe across the courtyard, and he left and he wept bitterly. Peter needed some extra encouragement. Also, Pentecost was coming. This is the preaching that would begin the church when the Holy Spirit would come, the church that we still meet in today. Maybe you need some special encouragement today. Maybe you recently have gone through something that has caused you to weep, just to lose it. Maybe you have had God or church as a part of your life, and it's been years since God was really all that important to you. Maybe you've turned from following him. Peter needed some extra encouragement. And if you're here today, and you need some extra encouragement, I want to let you know this. God loves you. And if you are far from God, God is waiting with open arms for you. And he will take you back. You see, the angel made it very personal with Peter. And for you, you need to understand that it's very personal with Jesus. Yes, he died for the sins of the world, but Jesus died for you. Put your name in there. He died for you so that you could have purpose in this world, 
So you could have eternal life, yes, afterwards, but as you go through this world, he wants you to know that if you're far from him, if you're running, he's waiting. He wants you to come to him. And don't fool yourself. God knew what he was getting when he chose you. Some of us are pretty hard on ourselves. God knew what he was getting when he chose you. And even if you are far from him today, he wants to say, welcome home, my child. Welcome back. You see, God is long-suffering, and he is patient, and he is perfect. And the love that he has for you, he does not cut it off. He loves you today. I ask you to also mark your place in John 21. Would you turn over there, please? And we'll finish our time talking about Peter. In John 21, this is after the crucifixion, and this is the um, only one of the Gospels that gives us this detailed account after the crucifixion and Christ's resurrection. John 21, let me read the first seven verses. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. And they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, and I love what he calls them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. And so they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. And the other disciples came in the boat, dragging their net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. Let's stop right there. Jesus appears to them again. And as we go, we see Peter jump out, and he's first one to shore. He leaves the other guys to do the work of hauling the fish in. He goes and he gets to Jesus Christ. The Bible says by the time they got in, that Jesus already had a fire going and he had some fish already cooking on that fire. And then after breakfast, Jesus has another conversation with Peter. We're all familiar with the last supper that Christ ate with his disciples. I've heard one scholar call this the last breakfast. And as they had this breakfast, he pulls Peter aside and he talks with him. He asked him some very serious questions. He asked Peter, do you love me? He's preparing Peter for what was to come. And as Peter was there, very possibly with the glow of that fire on his face once again, he looked into the eyes of Jesus. And let me tell you what Peter saw. He saw a God who loves him. He saw a God who would know that he would deny him and leave and swear to God that he did not even know the man. And Jesus Christ would take him back.
You see, you need to understand, no matter who you are, whether you've already spent a whole lot of time with God in the past week in prayer and reading from his word and serving, or whether you've been away from God for months or even years, he would look you in the eye and he would take you back. You see, I firmly believe this is a picture of some of our lives. Because when you have been away from Jesus, don't miss this, when you have been away from Jesus, you don't know what the next step is. They didn't know what it was. Peter said, I'm going fishing. Why is that in the Bible? They said, we're going to go with you. That was their occupation before. They were all in when Jesus was leading them during that three years of ministry. And I think they had forsaken that fishing job. And it looks like now they were going back to it. You see, when you have forsaken Jesus, life doesn't make sense. You don't know what the next step is. I think it's even safe to say that you're miserable. If you have known the love of Jesus Christ, then to be away from him as a loving father, he makes your life miserable. And when you belong to God, if you leave him out, things are not going to go the way they're supposed to go. But the good news for you is this. You are of incredible value to God. The value that you have And you might come and say, you don't know the things that I have done. You don't know the harm that I have caused, the words that I have said, the words that I have said to God. And I would tell you that your value to a loving God has not gone down one bit. A couple things that we can do from this message. Number one, if you have known God and you're far from him, Can you picture him standing with his arms wide open? He's waiting for you to come to him. Maybe you're here today and you've never accepted this message of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. You've never asked him to save you of your sins. Today can be that day. You can ask him to forgive you and make you his child. Jesus Christ died on a cross for the sins of the world and all we need to do is turn to him and ask for forgiveness and he will forgive you and make you his child. This is difficult because sometimes we don't feel worthy. And if you don't feel worthy, that's okay because between me and you, you're not. You don't deserve heaven. You don't deserve forgiveness. But God loved you so much that he allowed his own wrath. You see, God is just and he allowed his own wrath to be poured out on the Son to take your place if you would accept his gift of salvation today because you are of great value to him. I want to close by just telling you a a little story. We've been talking in our family about vacation uh, coming up. We're trying to plan some kind of a trip Usually vacations are somewhere close by, maybe to see family, maybe to go to a special place. My wife grew up in Geary, Indiana, and so she oftentimes went to Lake Michigan over there on the other side of our state. And we were at Lake Michigan one time, and this is going to be, I think, at least 10 years ago. 
And as we were there and we were in Lake Michigan, I remember there was a point where Tina took my daughter Emma, who was young, younger at the time, and were walking along the shore and they were searching for things of value, shells. Little girls love those shells, don't they? And they're walking along the shore and they were trying to find some shells. Well, Jack, who was a little bit older, he didn't have much need for looking for shells. That wasn't what he was about. He wanted to stay in the water. And so they worked a deal. They said, okay, you stay in the water right there, and I believe he had some goggles with him, and you can go along and you can search for treasure underneath the water. And so as the two girls walked along the shore and were picking up some shells on the side of Lake Michigan, and Jack made his way along the water part, they came to a little area where there was a boat. And as Jack is diving down, he went down. And Jack found some treasure. And as he came up, he had this in his hand. $5 bill. And he's down there and he's searching. He came with that. I wasn't with them when they were doing this. And as he went, he came up and I found the $5 bill. And I, and I, I paid him six bucks for it. That's how I got it. <laughs> I've kept it ever since. As we think about this $5 bill, and as we think about, I don't know who lost it. I'm not sure how long it was down there. It's got the year 2006 on it, so it couldn't have been that long. But the $5 bill had been dropped, wasn't seen. That guy or that girl didn't know where it was anymore. And as it was down there, let me ask you this question. How much less was the value of this $5 bill while it was buried underneath some sand and rock in Lake Michigan. Was it of any less value? No, it wasn't. It had the exact same value. But it wasn't being used. It was just down there. It was lost. And my treasure hunter, he found it, and he redeemed it. He even made an extra dollar out of it by getting that. You see, the money lost no value even though it was away from someone that would use it. And can I suggest to you today that if you are away from God, you have lost no value in his eyes. Listen to me, he loves you. If you are far from him, he is waiting for you. If you have never called out to him and asked for forgiveness, let today be that day. Because yes, there is eternity that we have to enjoy him, but there's also a world. Starts today if you've never known him or if you have known him in the past. Today is the day where he has open arms to you and you can come to him. And here's what you're gonna have to do. You're gonna have to do some fact checking because if you've been away, you're gonna say, is there any way in the world that he still loves me that much even with what I have done And you don't have to tell me that. And you don't have to tell him either because he already knows. But as you start to check the facts, you will see that your God is a God of infinite love. And he will take you back because he loves you. The greatest demonstration of that love was on the cross. And that body was taken down. And the women went to look and mourn and weep and to clean that filthy body. And the body was no longer there because the tomb was empty because Jesus Christ died so that he could conquer sin and conquer death. And that's what you can have today, victory 
over sin and victory over death in this world and forevermore. Let's pray. Loving Father, we look to you with an understanding that you are so beautiful to look upon us. And I know, Father, I've talked to enough people to understand that when people come to you, there are so many that do not feel worthy. They have done so much, and they think that you would want nothing to do with them. God, I would pray right now that you would open hearts, that you would allow individuals to see that they are not just an accident in this world, It's not that we walk in this world for 70 or 80 years or so and then we die and our body goes back to dust and there's nothing more. But God, you have something very special and something very sweet. And we today look back at the work on the cross and we thank you for that love. With heads bowed and eyes closed, no one looking around, I'm gonna ask Ron just to play through a stanza of a song. This is gonna be a chance for you to pray. First and foremost, if you are here today and you have never asked God to forgive you of your sins and save you, do it right now. You already know all that you need to know. And that's that Christ was the sacrifice for you. Just talk to him. Maybe you've done that before. Maybe you grew up in church and you've known him, but you've been away for the longest time. But you think your value has gone down in the eyes of God. He knows your heart. Talk to him right now.